Screw it, screw it, we're just gonna talk about Spider-Man. Welcome to Screw It, we're just gonna talk about Spider-Man. I'm your host, Kevin Hines. And And I'm your other host, Will Hines. That's right. Um, And this is the podcast where we talk about all of the original Spider-Man issues by the original creators, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Uh, Yep, we're doing one up. One episode for every issue we think right now, probably, which is like 41 issues. Right. That includes the Amazing Fantasy 15, which was Spider-Man's first appearance, as well as the first two annuals that Steve Ditko drew. Uh, He stopped drawing by the time the third annual came around, so uh, we won't cover that one. That's right. And we are uh, up to Amazing Spider-Man issue number two. That's right. And uh, it's an exciting issue. um, Yes. Because it features the Vulture, who was just in Spider-Man Homecoming, so... Yeah, so this is the first major Spider-Man villain that we're meeting. That's right. First one with like real powers. Last last issue just had a guy with a fancy vest. Yes. Um, um, and this guy can fly. Big step up. Uh, yeah, so it's exciting. It's still two stories per issue. Um, yeah, still kind of following that amazing fantasy anthology feel. Yeah, it won't get until, not till next issue do we have a full story for the whole issue. Yep. Uh, and also... I, uh, just as a teaser, the second story is not good. In oh this yeah, comic. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty exciting. bad. It's a it's a first real bummer of a yeah real real clunker of a Spider Man. I mean, tale. it's noteworthy for being the first bad Spider Man story. <laughs> that's right. It should be proud of that. Yeah. Um. Before we get into the stories, let's talk about our new social media presence, Kevin. Yeah, that's right. We set up uh, an Instagram uh, account and Twitter account and an email. So not Facebook. Have- not Facebook. We're uh, above it. We thought Facebook was too popular and, yeah. and we, we, too many people were on it. We didn't want to use it. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to risk becoming actually popular. Yeah. We don't want people to find out about this podcast, which <laughs> might happen if we went on the most popular website, Facebook. Uh, so instead we've set up a LinkedIn account. No. Uh, <laughs> so we're on Instagram, Twitter, and email. And all three of those, the handle is uh, screw it Spidey. S-C-R-E-W-I-T-S-P-I-D-E-Y. So it's screwitspidey at gmail.com. Screw and it on Spidey Instagram. on Instagram, screw it Spidey on Twitter. Yeah, so uh, after the episode, you can go to our Instagram account and see some screenshots of some of the signature panels that we talk about. And you can go to Twitter and yell at us or be nice. You can, And if you have something longer to say, you can email us. That's right. Longer than 280 characters, uh, email is the best way probably. That's right. Uh, but you know what? Uh, do what you want or post yeah, on Facebook yeah. and we just won't know about it. Yeah. If you need us not to see it, post it on Facebook. Um, Kevin, let's get into this issue. I'm really excited. Yeah. This uh, was a really fun. It's a beautiful issue. Um, yep. Which is crazy. So the- we say that about everything Ditko draws, but I do think you these first few issues, you see him push it further and further and further. Just like his style gets so great. Yep. He ramps it up every issue for a little while here until he settles into peak Peak Ditko, but we're already in good shape here. Yeah. I mean, this, I loved, I love uh, Spider-Man in the air. These aerial yep. combat shots with the vulture are amazing. I believe that uh, Steve Ditko would design the villains for their like visual potential. Like a lot of the, like a lot of the powers the Spider-Man villains have are sort of kooky, you know, like Dr. Octopus with his arms or like the vulture here can fly, but he's not super strong and he's old which we'll get into. So like their powers seem like maybe not 
ideally designed to be a powerful villain, but they all look cool. They all give Steve Ditko a, uh, a lot of opportunities to draw cool stuff. He also gets to draw a wide variety. I feel like you think of like villains and heroes all being late 20s, early 30s, good looking people. Um, yeah. And the vulture is like an old, bald <laughs> dude. I mean, he yeah. looks frail if you just saw him walking down the street. Yeah. Um, He's yeah, a sort of guy like, you, would, you should offer a seat to this guy. Yeah. Uh, and then he would spit at you and unfold his wings and steal your wallet and fly away. Yeah, but still, you're the better person. You offered him a seat. No, and it's the good. Doctor Octopus, which we get to next issue, he's like a chubby little dude. Yeah, he's a short, stocky guy with like a million folds in his forehead. Yeah, but it just makes interesting visual characters to to bounce off of this, you know, seventeen year old. Yeah, the Spider Man villains are like a they're they're a wide variety of like body types and and uh, and ages and stuff. Although they're all white and there's no women. <laughs> That's right. Not, not for a while, at least. Um, um, you know, still the early sixties, uh, Spider-Man Stanley did not write women well, so it's probably good that he wasn't fighting yeah. a woman for all the things that Stanley does so well. Um, progressive female characters was definitely not one of them. They're all, shop, they're all shopping and dating in the movie. If you're covering Fantastic Four or the Avengers, it's just embarrassing. The Wasp is so embarrassing in those early Avengers stories. Yeah, she's just trying on wigs and clothes. Yeah, and that's not – like when you say trying on wigs, I think people are like, oh, yeah, it's a funny example specific that Will made up. It's like, no, there's many situations where she's trying on wigs. And that's all they do, I guess, is the is the main part, um, is the main yeah. problem. But um, okay, but here we are. <laughs> but luckily, no women in this comic. <laughs> yeah, they avoid that problem by having all male characters. But – um, relative to what superhero stories we're doing at this time, this is still a leap forward. Uh, it's it's a really unique story for a lot of reasons. Um, let's get into the the vulture. Like we already said, he's he's special. He looks great. There's these big green wings. He's he and Spidey when they get into fights, it's like really amazing drawings. He's old. We estimate that he's how old? Seventy five years old. Seventy five minimum is the age I've pinned him at. Probably uh, older. Yeah. But he if looks, I had to guess in front of him, I'd say 75, so I'm flattering him a little bit. He looks very angry. His face is always scowling and mad. Um, his costume has like a big white fur collar, which, um, Kevin, you've speculated is because that's what vultures have. Yeah, or condors, I feel. I don't know. Definitely carrion eaters have that. Like they have the long, thin neck coming out of like a bushy plume. It makes him look also very dashing. He looks like he's got this kind of white turtleneck situation going. He's very fashion forward, the vulture. He looks great. I mean, if Michael Keaton had worn this in the movie, he would have looked dumb. For sure. Uh, <laughs> he would have. Full body green suit. But uh, it looks great on the page. It just looks yeah. great. Yep. And uh, it's fun that Spider-Man fights a guy who can fly because Spider-Man cannot fly. So he's like leaping from a building and then holding on to this guy to try to survive while defeating him. Yeah, I'm looking at the splash page right now and it's uh, Spider-Man hanging onto his ankle above all the buildings with just enormous uh, armpit webs in this image. Right, uh, Spider-Man's costume has like webs in his armpits and Ditko draws those at different sizes depending on what the drawing needs. Yeah, uh, they're really big right there. I love the armpit webs. I know they don't really serve a ton of purpose. They're just like style. Yeah. Uh, but I always prefer it when they're there. I'm pro armpit webs as well. But I think that's just my love of Ditko. I'm like, whatever Ditko did, I want more of. Ditko's also got the big eyes, like Spider-Man's mask has huge eyes. Yeah, they get smaller under Romita when he takes over. Yeah. Uh, 
And they get like way bigger eyes. than later on. Todd McFarlane had big eyes, right? When Todd Enormous McFarlane. size. I mean, he would make these eyes look minuscule. I'm Ditko. I'm pro Ditko in general with when it comes to Spider-Man style. Yeah, that's the style. Um, I, I think, I mean, uh, this probably is not the time for it, but a lot of people, when they think of old Spider-Man comics, they probably think of John Romita Jr. style. Yeah, I think he drew it a lot longer and he and the, the, the comic had become huge by then. And, they, and I think his art was used on a lot of merchandising. For like yeah. coloring books and uh, kids stuff and just like whatever clothing and whatnot, you'd you'd see a lot of Romita stuff on uh, old uh, merchandising. Yeah, so he we was kids. He sort of was he defined the Spider-Man look that the world saw. But uh, I think Ditko's is better. Ditko's is the classic. So, so we're doing this podcast, I guess. That's right. We just reminded ourselves why we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, let's so, let's do this podcast. <laughs> so uh, the Vulture as a villain. Is is although he looks great, is maybe not that interesting a story. We don't even know a lot about him. He likes to swoop down and steal uh, things and then fly away. So he's basically a thief, but he goes for high end items like briefcases full of bonds, yeah, uh, yeah. Ju- jewelry heists. Um, you, you know, Stan Lee's in his mid forties when he's doing this comic, and a lot of the specifics are like an older man specific. Like the very first thing we see the vulture steal is a briefcase with a fortune in bonds. Yeah, like, I don't a, even. Know what that is or why that guy was just walking around with it. Yeah, why do you just you, – what what are bonds and do you carry them around in your briefcase? But uh, the vulture knew about it and he made off with a, with a fortune. Uh, it's an interesting change they made for the movie Spider-Man Homecoming is that they made the vulture more uh, true to his name because in the movie he's all about going to battle sites and picking up the remains of the technology and building things out of it. So he's like a vulture in a that true movie. true vulture, yeah. Yeah. Where in this he's only a vulture in look, aesthetics. Yeah, he looks like a vulture, and then he just steals stuff. Uh, uh, maybe more interesting story-wise is our J. Jonah Jameson uh, sort of B story in this, which is that Peter right. Parker is broke, and he needs money, and he realizes that he can actually get money out of J. Jonah Jameson. Right, and this is the second story with J. Jonah Jameson, and the first story, J. Jonah made everyone in the city hate Spider. Yeah, so that eliminated Spider-Man's career as an entertainer. Yeah. Um, and it also added the problem that everybody hates him. Um, so J. Jonah Jameson, yeah, newspaper publisher, magazine publisher, for some reason is obsessed with just campaigning against Spider-Man at all times. Right. He's holding a magazine and on the first page that has the cover of Spider-Man's face that just says menace on it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a great, great cover to that magazine. He's such a good... Um, He's such a good villain. Yeah. Um, But he wants a picture of the vulture. No one can get a picture because the vulture is too fast. Right. And so Peter is in his high school in the science lab, like always. He overhearing enormous, enormous high school lab. Yeah. This high school has huge science funding. Like Peter's always using an elaborate gear, uh, crazy arrays of like beakers and stuff like that. It's a public high school in New York that got like. The best science budget in the country. Right. Uh, so he's doing some work and he's overhearing the popular kids talking. And they're saying, wow, a photo of the vulture would be worth a fortune. Nobody can get close enough to him to snap one. This is common for popular kids to talk about in school. Yeah. Usually what right. popular kids do is they get the newspapers, they they look online and they, and they start to speculate over how could we make money off this? Yeah. That's mainly um, what, I've, in my experience, the popular kids were focused on. Yep. Which is good for Peter Parker because he can overhear it. Yeah. So he realizes, oh, yeah, I can get a picture of the vulture. I'm Spider-Man. Uh, and it's still interesting. He's way more interested in making money than he is fighting crime. It's going to be yeah. a couple issues before he's a true hero. 
Right. Uh, um, in the his first story, he only fights the villain because it killed. He killed his uncle. Yeah. Uh, and then last issue, he only he saved uh, J. Jonah Jameson's son just to make J. Jonah Jameson write a nice story about him, which did not work. Uh, and he only stopped the chameleon because the chameleon impersonated him and made him look bad. Yeah, so he's he's still pretty self-centered for for a hero, which actually just makes things really interesting. So yeah. our story here is he's going to try to take pictures of the vulture to make money. Ironically, getting money from J. Jonah Jameson, the man who hates him. Yeah. Uh, so the vulture uh, so, the vulture is planning oh, a big heist. Oh, yeah. Even before that, I just like this moment uh, where Spider-Man or Peter Parker is looking through the magazine thinking about taking these photographs and his teacher, the one person who should be nice to him in the school, turns on him. Yeah, just yells at him, Parker, I don't expect you to ignore a delicate experiment right in the middle while you pour through a lurid picture magazine. Parker, pay attention. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's just like, I assume Peter Parker has been the best student in this high school has ever had. Yeah. Uh, uh, Never a problem. He's ignored an One experiment. time he looks through a magazine. And the teacher yells at him. I, we see this teacher yeah. a lot. They, they have continuity on this guy. This like bald guy with the little Hitler mustache and the yeah. white lab coat. We see him a lot in the early issues. Yeah. He, he should be nicer to Peter. And he's nicer in the B story or the, the second story. But uh, in this issue, he's sort of a jerk to Peter, like everyone. Parker goes home and conveniently Aunt May has a miniature camera for him, which uh, his late Uncle Ben uh, used to own. That's right. Um, that's in, that's uh, so, yeah. And so he's going to take pictures of the vulture who's planning his next heist. And the vulture has a big plan. Uh, he There's a diamond shipment that's going to happen that's been publicizing itself in the newspaper for some reason. Terrible, terrible decision by the jewelers. Yeah, don't. Uh, people. You shouldn't. Write, you shouldn't solicit newspapers to write about when you're going to be moving your valuable goods. But the vulture knows about it and he sends notes to the radio station and the police precinct and the newspapers announcing that he is going to steal those diamonds. He's calling his shot. Right. Uh, so he's putting he, a lot of pressure on people to catch him. Yeah. And they refuse to change their plans because they can't let one criminal make them act scared. They don't negotiate with bird villains, is the police, police department's policy. So, um, Okay, so then we cut to Spidey trying to get a photo of the vulture. The vulture spots Spider-Man, doesn't notice the camera, and is able to swoop around in a loop-de-loop fashion and kick Spider-Man in the back of the head and knock him out. Yeah. Um, Spider-Man was doing nothing but taking a photograph, and the vulture knocks him out. Everyone's assuming this guy's a superhero. All he's trying to do is make a buck. Uh, Uh, And then the vulture drops him in a water tank and closes the door and leaves him for dead. He decides to murder him. Yeah. This guy went from just a petty thief to a murderer. Yep, and he's real chill about it. Inside the water tank, our hero wakes up and he's trapped. He's out of web fluid, we find out. And the inside of the water tank is so slippery, he can't crawl up it. So he's trapped in this water. This is a moment I uh, just remember reading as a kid. I always remember this this sequence of escape. Yeah, the visuals are really cool. Uh, lots of shots of Spider-Man just half submerged in water. Lots of thought balloon. Uh, and to get out of it, he swims to the bottom of the water tower crouches and then leaps up through the water up to the ceiling of the water tower. Yeah, he's strong enough that he can even jump through water and still have enough momentum to reach the top of a water tank and he escapes. Uh, they, they, they contrive a lot of fun situations for Spider-Man to use his powers and that's one of them and it looks great. Yeah, so then uh, the next page is all about science. Yes, yeah, so now Spidey realizes, okay, I was out of web fluid, I got to do something about that and he makes a little utility belt and extra web fluid cartridges and he shows us the reader. That's a big part of Marvel Comics is they let you in on the cool technology the heroes are doing. 
Yeah, Fantastic Four would have a lot of schematics of their base. And so Spider-Man has lots of just like close-ups of his gadgets. Yeah, he's a spider whiz. So part of a Peter Parker story is getting let in on the science, which never makes a lot of sense. But it's sort no. of fun if you're a kid reading about it. I mean, this belt is too bul- bulky to fit under his skin tight outfit. But yeah, he, does. Sh- he shows us this huge bulky belt. But then once his costume's on, you can never notice it. Uh, and then he works on another gadget that he thinks will be perfect for stopping the vulture's flight. He doesn't tell us what it is, but he's got this little cylinder he's made that he thinks might stop the vulture. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at the J. Jonah Jameson's office, Peter Parker arrives and. Yeah. So so Peter Parker calls J. Jonah Jameson saying, I've got photos of the vulture. So J. Jonah stops the presses immediately. Yeah. This is what J. Cancels J- his meetings. Right. And waits. Yeah. What's that? You've got some exclusive photos of the vulture that you want to sell? Well, don't waste time talking. Get over here right away. Joe, have them stop the presses. Yeah, he's taking a lot of faith on this phone call. And I guess this is also like a magazine that puts out a new issue every day. That's right. He's he's have we heard about the Daily Bugle yet? No. Right. We just see that he's publisher of Now Magazine. Yeah, this issue, it's now magazine. I think last issue, it was the Daily Bugle. Let me just confirm that. He's both publisher of the Daily Bugle and now magazine. And sort of these Ditko issues sort of get very particular over what kind of stories those two things do. In our modern era of print journalism being dead, this sounds insane. But in the early 60s, it was a story point. Last issue was definitely the Daily Bugle, but now it's now magazine. I guess because it's more photography oriented to have a magazine. So it like explains the motivation to pay a lot of money for photos. Basically supposed to be like life magazine, basically, I guess. Yeah. The daily version of it, the daily life called now. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. So Peter Uh, Parker walks in with these photos. J Jonah Jameson loves it and uh, gives him money. We know that Peter's broke and he loves that. So this might work out. This is something that's going to happen for many issues. Now Parker selling photos to J Jonah Jameson. Yeah. This is his main career for just a long time in the comic. Um, Back at high school, everybody is excited uh, about (laughs) watching the diamond transfer and trying to see if the vulture will try to rob it. Yeah, all the cool kids who were talking about magazine finances are now excited to watch diamonds get moved around. It's really convenient that Peter Parker goes to high school with people who really stay on top of supervillain information so he can overhear a lot of cool exposition. Um, all right, so we get to the diamond transfer. The, uh, the diamond company is transferring. Um, right. And they know the vulture has said he's going to steal this. So there's helicopters, there's armed guards everywhere, yeah. and it's a well-protected uh, armored car. And this and this twist that happens, I got to say, it did get me when I was a kid reading this story. This surprised me. Everybody's like looking for the vulture. They're keeping their eye out. And I remember being like, how's he going to steal it? Yeah, I guess in my mind, I was like, he'll just be faster or he'll evade them anyway. That's how he's going to show them up. Um, but they... Then we see the diamond guys walk near a manhole and the vulture pops out of the manhole, steals the diamonds and then jumps into the sewer and flies away through the sewer. Yeah, uh, it's a great image. I know that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> the drawing I love is cool. this panel of him grabbing the suitcase out of the guy's hands. They look surprised. And, yeah. The cop's got a gun, but he's just like, we expected an attack from above. Yeah, which, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. It's a flying villain. And uh, then we got a cool shot of the vulture flying through the New York City subways. Always tons of space in the New York, uh, not subways, uh, sewers. Um, always tons of space in yeah. the sewers for supervillains. High ceilings. It's just, it's great. It's very, it looks luxurious. It looks like it's just a, a, it looks like Paris down there. Like this beautiful wide yeah. boulevard canal, of, you know, or Venice, you know, like canals. Um, yeah, New York City should do tours of the sewer systems based on my knowledge of it. It looks amazing. Um, okay, so Spider-Man. Knowledge is 
based on this and Lex Luthor's base in Superman one. <laughs> um, so Peter Parker snaps into action. Uh, he gets into a Spidey outfit uh, and he goes chasing after the vulture. He just catches him by dumb luck. He there's, just stumbles on the there's vulture. a great moment before he catches him where he just kind of enjoys having powers for a second. He's climbing a wall, which could have been a silent panel, but uh, Stanley adds the line. The thing I like best about being the Spider-Man is scaling these sheer walls. I don't think I'll ever stop getting a charge out of it. You know, I do like that, yeah. actually. I've, I'm glad you pointed that out because, first of all, Stanley rarely leaves a panel uncommented on. Right. There's text in every panel. Um, so this is a panel where there isn't really a story point. He's just climbing up a wall. So Stan uses it to just have that little celebratory moment you pointed out. But I, yeah, there is a really good balance throughout these stories of Stan Lee's like happiness and Steve Ditko's darkness. Like the drawings are always kind of, not always, but they're often very dark and shadowy and looming. But the dialogue is is often very fun and like light. And that really is an important part of the dynamic yeah that makes these stories good i mean it's where spider-man's humor comes from is this uh juxtaposition of what he's doing and who he is to how he talks and thinks yep uh, but yeah so he's looking for the vulture and the vulture flies right by him <laughs> yep what a break <laughs> there he is now it'll be a century to follow him using my web to swing from building to building yeah stanley really spells out <laughs> what he's gonna like i think we yeah, understand yeah. that he swings from building to building but um okay so he goes after the vulture and we get into a really great fight sequence between the two of them yeah just an aerial combat uh where one guy can fly and one guy knocked off the building he's grabbing onto the vulture hitting him with webs just tangling uh if he lets you know spider-man could fall to his death if he and he's holding Onto his camera the whole time, and that device is hanging from like his waist, basically. Yeah, and so they they scramble for a little bit. He activates the device, and it makes the vulture fall. Yeah, all of a sudden the vulture's wings stop working. What what did you do? I can't stay aloft. You you'll kill us both. And they're plummeting through the air. Spider Man uh, shoots his web and pulls himself to a building, and the vulture glides down. He seems like he can't elevate anymore, but he can still sort of slowly glide in a spiral and the cops grab him. That's right. Uh, and Spider-Man snaps a photo of that uh, happening. Now, after he's gone, we get a little insight into what that device was that he used. There's a close-up on Spider-Man and, and he's thinking, um, I suspected – or if, if the police had asked me, I could have told them – i.e. how to catch the vulture. The absence of noise gave me the clue. I suspected that he had discovered a way to harness magnetic power. That's why my gadget made him fall. It's an anti-magnetic inverter, and it worked. Now, Kevin, is that science? Um, no. <laughs> I don't think any part of it is science. Yeah. But it's a lot of science words. Yep, that's right. And that's close right. enough. Yeah, it's... If you're a kid reading this, you're like, ooh, Peter Parker's science powers are just as important as his spider powers. Yeah, and I do think that. I love the idea that, uh, in a way, Spider-Man's powers helped Peter Parker get near the vulture to use this device. Yep. Uh, that Spider-Man couldn't have made this device, Peter Parker did, even though they're the same person. So that's a silly statement. Uh, the story wraps up with Peter selling more photos to J. Jonah Jameson, who is so excited. Um, we also yeah. start to get hints over what a slime ball J. Jonah Jameson is about money and stuff. Or just about yeah. about deals. Yeah. I mean, they, he's going to make a ton of money off of this, and he'll agree to anything to get the photos from Peter Parker. Peter Parker says, remember our deal, Mr. Jameson. That's my secret, referring to how did you get these photos. He won't tell him. Uh, yeah. And Jameson says, fine. He takes the photos. He doesn't need to know. 
and he just credits a, a staff photographer for taking the photos. And he gives Peter a wad of money and J. Jonah Jameson says, take a bonus and go out and buy yourself some twist records. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson is a little bit of Stan Lee. For sure. This is like evil Stan Lee in terms of him so, being totally out of touch with young people and, you know, this kind of blowhard. The one thing that's uh, going to turn out not to be true is this bonus J. Jonah Jameson will be the last time I think J. Jonah Jameson gives away money that isn't asked for. Yeah, he's a skinflint. That gets established pretty soon. Uh, so this is our first happy ending for Peter. He's caught the vulture. He's got he's got his money problems at least temporarily solved. Yeah, he goes home and pays for rent for a year. Yeah, he and Aunt May are each holding a, just a stack of bills. Yeah, uh, she's so proud of him. He's the most wonderful boy in the world. Aunt May says. Yeah, she doesn't seem to question how he walked in with a like a like a vertical stack of cash. <laughs> I mean, it's nineteen sixty three. What's a year's rent on a house in Forest Hills? No idea. No idea. I mean, twelve hundred dollars. I think. Yeah, I was going to say a little over a thousand, that would be my guess. Yeah. That's a lot of money to pay for. It I mean, cash. a year's worth of rent he just got in a day. Yep, but Aunt May is a, loves him so much, she doesn't question it. Meanwhile, the vulture is in jail. Our last panel is the vulture in jail wearing his full costume. Yep, still got his wings they on, let him wear even his, though he's sitting behind bars. Uh, and he's resenting about Spider Man. We, we know we're going to see him again, and we will see him again. But that's it for this. That's story. right. We'll, we'll see him soon. All right, our second story. Uh, and that's. It's a really, it's a great story. Yeah, I really love, I love that first too. Vulture story. And it's paired up with the story called The Uncanny Threat of the Terrible Tinkerer. And this is a lame story. This is a lame story. With some great art in it, though. Great art. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. So our main villain here is a tinkerer. Uh, and I'm gonna, <laughs> every step of the story here makes no sense, which makes it a little bit hard to describe because nobody does anything for obvious reasons or good reasons. But first we have to yeah. get Peter to the tinkerer, and that's kind of complicated. Yeah, so he's he's in high school working in his enormous high school lab, and his teacher introduces him to a famous electrical scientist, right? Oh, a famous electronics expert, uh, Mr. Cobwell. Right. And Mr. Cobwell is looking for an assistant, so he hires Peter and says, hey, Peter, come work with me today, but first pick up my radio <laughs> from the shop. <laughs> uh <laughs> And of course, we have a moment where the popular kids yell at Peter. Um, well, well, well. So this is Flash Thompson, our our main bully. Uh, so Teacher's Pet is going to help the nice little doctor with some experiments this weekend. Eh? Well, us other dumb heads waste time having dates and living it up. Yeah. And uh, this is the first time I think that Peter really snaps back at the bullies uh, in a strong way. Yeah. He usually just thinks to himself angry thoughts. But here he says back to Flash. Knock it off, Flash. You're darn right I'd jump at the chance to work with a brilliant man like Dr. Cobwell. As for you being a dumbhead, it's nothing to be ashamed of. You were just born that way. Pretty pretty tough zing from Peter Parker. Yeah. Um, Peter Parker's... And also harsh for such a nice kid. There's a lot of anger in Spider-Man stories. Like, you don't have, yeah. you don't have to adjust too many things to make Peter Parker one of the most vile supervillains of all time. He's alone. He's... Uh, he doesn't have parents, and we, we don't find out why for a long time. That's not filled in. Yeah. And um, I don't, I think it might be like issue 100. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Sometime like that. He's a lonely outcast kid. Everybody is mean to him all the time, and he has real anger in him. Um, if he didn't get his uncle killed the very first time he tried anything, he might have been a completely cocky supervillain. Um, um, okay, so – and as we just discussed, he's not really a hero yet. This might be the most heroic issue he has. 
So he goes to this. And it's more curiosity. He goes to pick up a radio from this place. There's a store where the sign says Tinkerer. It's actually a beautiful store. We see it from the outside and it's kind of a kind of a gothic store that the Tinkerer has set up shop in. Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of place they just would tear down now and put up some condos. So inside we meet the Tinkerer. He's this very old man. We got two old guys, two old guy protagonists in this issue. Yeah, the, the average age of the people he fights is is... I mean, it's up there. Uh, Stanley and put Vulture at seventy-five, and the Tinkerer looks older. I can't. You know, either Stanley and Steve Ditko had it out for old people, or they were like championing old people's right to be supervillains. Uh, yeah, but this is where the story gets really stupid. Yeah, the, the Tinkerer goes down to the basement to get the radio. Yeah. And he reveals that he's been working with aliens. <laughs> and not just any aliens. Classic Twilight Zone Star Trek green-skinned antenna-wearing aliens who have like l- – l- like uh, leotards on. Yeah, they wear these like little black tank tops with like a metal <laughs> uh, uh, like a stomach uh, uh, harness, I guess. And they're planted. I don't know what else to describe. The Tinkerer only charges like a dime to fix things and because the aliens put little – cameras and like recorders into the things he fixes so they can spy on people. So their plan is to go to a mom and pop repair shop in Queens and Mm -hmm. put transmitters in anybody who happens to stop by and get stuff recorded, uh, get stuff repaired. That's right. And that way they'll take over the world. It's a good plan for those aliens. It's a smart plan and it's a good one and everyone should do it. Uh, So Peter Parker is suspicious of everything because his spider sense is tingling. But he takes the radio with him and goes back to Dr. Cobwell's lab. Uh, He's a little worried about the radio, but he doesn't want to do anything in front of Dr. Cobwell because he's worried he'll look foolish. But then fortunately, for almost no reason, Dr. Cobwell leaves. I have to lecture at the Institute now, Peter. I'll be back in a few hours, leaving Peter alone. Cobwell just met Peter Parker today, has spent very little time with him, and now leaves him alone in his lab for hours. uh, Left alone, Peter goes and investigates the radio, finds the little hidden recorder, knows something's up, and immediately goes back to the tinkerer shop. One good thing about these short stories is they act – people act fast. (laughs) Yeah. He doesn't uh, mince words. He goes back there, breaks in, goes down to this basement where the aliens are, and is in on the action immediately. We see that the aliens – And he looks around the corner, and he sees the aliens, and they're watching uh, military secrets. Yeah, they've – somehow the – the military must have also gotten the radio repaired at this Queens repair shop because there's a camera like in the Pentagon and the aliens are now spying on them. Yeah, they hear someone saying, I summoned you, Colonel, to discuss our plans for the defense of our eastern seaboard in case of a surprise attack by any hostile force. Yeah, just very lucky that they were tuning in at that moment. It's very lucky that uh, America's military commanders speak so bluntly about things and such short sentences that can fit into speech balloons. Uh, and lucky for us, Spider-Man sees this happen. And he rolls with the news of an alien pretty well. Uh, when he sees the aliens, here's what he thinks. So that's what it's all about. They're enemy <laughs> aliens from another planet using some sort of eerie spy devices, which they place in our radios in order to learn our military and scientific secrets. I mean, not only did he figure it out fast just by looking in that room, he it also feels like the way he says it, that that was on the tip of his yeah, tongue. Yeah, that's what he was assuming was going on anyway. Yeah, there's a part of him that always knew it was aliens putting... Uh, transmitters in our radios. Um, so we get into a fight. He fights all the aliens. He jumps in there and there's like a lot of jumping around and punching and he goes up in the ceiling and they throw a device that they call an inverter, which prevents him from sticking to the ceiling. Yeah, that's a weird, that's a weird couple panels for me, I think, because he climbed up on the ceiling, this device gets thrown at him. Then he's sort of just on his feet on the ground punching. There, we're like missing a transition panel, maybe. Yeah. It doesn't matter. 
each individual panel is in and of itself beautiful. Uh, he's attacked by all the aliens and then he gets zapped by the tinkerer. Yeah. Uh, the tinker pulls some like laser gun out and zaps Spider-Man. Uh, he's unconscious. Instead of killing him with like anything sharp, they put him in a glass cage and su- and try to suffocate him. Yeah. They hang this ca- glass cage above this floor and they put him in there and they remove the air from that case while they do their jobs beneath They him. start to slowly suffocate him as they don't watch. Um, yeah. They're not watching at all. So there's. They're in the room with him. Yeah, he's hanging above them. Um, Spider-Man realizes there's little holes in the cage that are sucking the air out somehow. So he shoots a super fine web strand out of that hole and to a switch that's lined up perfectly with that hole and opens up his cage. That's right. And we get another little nice schematic of his web shooters to show how that works. Um, the cage opens. And that, you know, you can make that yourself now. Yeah, you have enough information in these schematics that you can make a web shooter at home. Um, Spider-Man breaks free the cage, punches one alien once. Who, he knocks into a second alien who bumps one of the video displays, which sets the whole thing on fire. Yeah. Um, and so uh, things go from bad to worse at this point. Um, the al- the, the aliens. aliens run out of the room. <laughs> They're cowards. They leave immediately. Um, Spider-Man. A fire starts and uh, Spider-Man chases after Tinkerer in that fire. Um, it could be like the Martian Manhunter. Maybe fire is the thing that destroys them. And so it's extra bad. I mean, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing a lot of work trying to make this make sense. Yeah. So he jumps on the Tinkerer, uh, he, but the Tinkerer evades him because the room fills with smoke and Spider-Man has to run away. He runs away. People see him leaving the building and they point at him and say, maybe he started the fire. But why? Yeah. Unlike Superman, who is beloved by all of Metropolis, Spider-Man is hated and feared by a good portion of New York City. Uh, we also see the aliens flying away in their spaceship. Um and they have an, a, a great uh, parting line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is done. We can never again return to Earth. They will be on guard from this day on. Uh, so uh, they will never, ever return. I mean, th- we beat them. They were doing great. They got military. Their dumb plan of putting transmitters in an old man's repair shop's radios got to the Pentagon. They were getting information, but one little fire means they call it off forever. Yeah, they'll never even try it again. And we don't move on to another. And they don't come back. Um, No. uh, And you pointed out that this is this story is insane. Oh, let's finish it up before we go do that. So yeah, let's finish. He goes back to Doctor Cobwell's lab. Uh, Cobwell. I mean, that's basically he goes back to Cobwell's lab. The radio is back to normal. And Cobble, I think, saw the alien spaceship, but doesn't believe he saw it. Yeah, it must have been seeing things. And in the very last panel, Parker reveals a mask. It turns out the Tinkerer was not an old man, but was one of the aliens also. Yeah, which is definitely feels like one of those amazing fantasy stories that preceded Spider-Man. Yeah, they had a lot of masks going on in those amazing fantasy stories. Um, yeah, and Parker... Yeah, but this story is dumb. Oh, yeah. So uh, the amazing fantasy ones could be kind of like cool little short sci-fi things. This is a dumb story. Yeah. Uh... So uh, what was interesting about this, uh, hold on, I'm trying to pull up the page now, um, is that uh, a lot of writers thought this story was dumb. It doesn't fit with the style of Spider-Man, so it was uh, retconned out, like retroactive continuity is what that stands yeah. for, which means uh, later on they tell a story that changes a story from the past. Yeah. makes it fit in. And yeah, so around issue 160, Len Wein, Len Wein uh, who was the writer who reinvented the X-Men, mm-hmm. he created Swamp Thing, wrote lots of comics. He created Wolverine, right? He was writing Spider-Man. He, yeah, he created Wolverine and also made Wolverine an X-Man, yep. an X-Men. Um, and uh, he was writing Spider-Man around issue 160, and he brought the Tinkerer back 
And Spider-Man says when he sees him, but you, you're an alien. Uh, And the Tinker explains that that's not the case. He goes, not at all, my boy. That mask I left you holding was merely a ruse, a simple ploy to deter pursuance that I must say worked exceptionally well. Um, So he was just a normal dude as a uh, just a smart scientist. Um, And then a few years after that, in particular, and the spectacular Spider-Man issue 1551, Roger Stern went a step further and brought those aliens back. Uh, they like invade a, a benefit or something. Yeah. And Peter Parker or Spider-Man starts fighting them and finds out that they're all wearing masks, that these are stunt men pretending to be aliens. And that's how it's been the whole time. This was a plan, uh, I guess, by these stuntmen to dress up as aliens, to trick everyone, to steal state secrets or whatever. Right. Even going so far as to build a spaceship that they flew away with. Uh, and they show the same panel from uh, this Amazing Spider-Man issue we just read. And in it, uh, let me just find that dialogue. It just keeps closing on me. Um, it wants me to disable my ad blocker or it won't show it to me anymore. Seems fair. Uh because this site is terrible. Um, I like when how comics artists uh, will do this. They'll try to make things make more sense. You know, once the hero becomes really big and stuff, decisions made early on maybe were that were done in a hurry suddenly look stupid. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that this uh, uh, the aliens fly away, and oh, now there's ads popping up. <laughs> this is um, just wonderful. A wonderful site. They've made money off of me. They're gonna. Because they're telling me about an online casino. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. It worked. Um, okay. Now the ad is closed. I can read this one line of dialogue I want to <laughs> share with this podcast. I'm sorry to everyone who has to sit <laughs> through this. Um, uh, the aliens leave the same line they say from the spaceship as they're unmasking. It is done. We can never again return to Earth. They will be on their guard from this day on. And then one of the other aliens says, you can can the phony alien talk, Charlie. There's no one to overhear us now <laughs> because that image we saw of the spaceship taking off was seen by nobody. Right. <laughs> uh, so they were never aliens. They were stuntmen dressed up as aliens that built a spaceship. Um, uh, I like that a, a little bit better than just a bunch of aliens who were infiltrating. Yeah, yeah the story still doesn't make sense, but uh, it definitely f- at least feels a little more grounded that it was like, a, uh, uh, I mean, it's not that Spider-Man doesn't see aliens eventually in the Marvel Universe. But it just felt so silly and yeah. stupid. It makes it just stupid and less silly, I guess. I mean, there's um, a lot going on for, a, you know, 11 pages or whatever it is. You know, for him to discover aliens, yeah. dispatch of them, and they give up forever. That's it's, Yeah. So instead, it's stuntmen who own a spaceship that give up forever. Uh, it's a little better. Uh, 10 pages. Yeah. 10 pages, not 11. Uh, you know, I, we, but, but I, do, I do like that there's a stuntman that was so committed to his alien character that said, <laughs> we'll never return to Earth just to his friends. He said that just to the other stuntmen. Can it, Charlie? We, uh, we lost. <laughs> yeah, he's like so in character. It's like, wow. He, he, just not a, he shouldn't be a stuntman. He, he should be an be, actor. You know, the face. Yeah. He's probably yeah. a probably a failed actor. Had to go into stunt work, and he's still trying to make it work. Yeah, uh, let's. I hope he. I hope he gets it together. That's my spinoff story. The the most committed of the aliens. Um, okay, so let's go through our awards for these for this issue. What's yeah, your favorite panel? Uh, so my favorite panel is the uh, the we talked about it a little bit the one of the vulture loop de loops down to kick Spider Man in yep. the head. And that's um, page five of that first story, panel three. I just, it's a kind of a wide shot. You see the vulture. It just like, there's something about those images that you really can feel how fast the vulture is moving. Uh, 
It just looks elegant and fast and just. Uh, I love that too. When they cut to the big wide shots in Amazing Spider-Man, it really, because so much of it's close up with like cool contorted poses. There's a, uh, he makes good use of when he cuts to sort of a wide shot. Uh, my favorite panel is in the Tinkerer story. The story's done, but there's a lot of good art. Page seven, panel three, when the Tinkerer sort of stuns Spider-Man into unconsciousness. It just looks cool. Yeah, he's like mid-combat. Yeah. Uh, he's just knocked over a bunch of alien uh, slash stuntmen. Yep. And he gets zapped in the back and it sort of sends him flying. Uh, what's your favorite Stan Lee dialogue? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good ones in yeah. here. Uh, but I think in the Tinker story, when he gets loose, one of the aliens notices yeah. and tells, you know, he's like, he's loose. Spider-Man is loose. And Spider-Man's response is, who do you think you are? The town crier? Good zing. Which is just one of those sort of almost jokes that Stan Lee, Stan Lee tries a lot. Some land, a lot don't. And that's one of the ones that doesn't, but just so perfectly stands. <laughs> it, does, it does lighten the mood. Like Stan's jokes are sometimes they're genuinely very funny. And even if they're not, they, they keep things happy. Uh, my f- Yeah. The fact that Spider-Man is making this sort of flippant remark is yeah. sort of fun. Uh, my favorite Stanley dialogue is in the Tinkerer when he's initially goes to his repair shop and he's suspicious. But then he kind of shakes it off and he says, I have I got to stop getting suspicious all the time. The tinkerer looks about as dangerous as a secondhand cream puff. <laughs> yeah, a secondhand cream puff, a common phrase. We still, use you know, when you, when you and I would like relook at these comics as adults, I would like walk around using Stan Leeisms in my everyday speech. You know, I'd say like milk sop, panty waist. Yeah. Uh, Milk sop was a big one in the Hulk yeah, comics. Bruce, uh, everyone referred to Bruce Banner was a milk yeah, sop. Peter Parker is described as a panty waist a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, what's your high? Uh, let's do okay. highlights. Uh, you, you, I'm going to do mine first because I yeah. claimed it because uh, I think we had the yeah. same one. But it's the water tower escape, which um, we went into a lot of detail with. We both remember that as yeah. kids. It just really stands out. It looks yep. beautiful. Uh, it's just a memorable moment. Spider-Man underwater. Ditko does a lot of like water, smoke, clouds. He likes like amorphous shapes. Um, my highlight is the uh, that he uses science, his little anti-magnetic inverter that he uses to stop the vulture. I, I like that Parker makes little gizmos. So that's my highlight. Yeah, and that becomes a big thing for Spider-Man for a while. He builds a lot of little gizmos throughout these uh, yep. comics. Uh, my low light is the entire <laughs> aspect of <Yep>. the aliens. <laughs> um, from their first appearance where they look ridiculous – to everything they do uh, is stupid. Um, my low light is that the all the publicity this diamond transfer gets, and how all the high school kids are keeping an eye on it. It makes a, it makes a little <laughs> yeah. bit of sense once the vultures involved, but just, just their whole tendency to have a lot of exposition about like things involving crime um, make that's my low light. Yeah, uh, it's not even like <laughs> later on there'll be things where like villains call out heroes, like meet me here to fight me. That makes more sense to attract yeah. an audience. Like the vulture stealing some diamonds feels weird. It feels weird. That's a thing every everyone would yep. go see. Um, but uh, still, our the issue is I think better than the last one in terms of art, and that vulture story is a real winner. So we are moving up in quality here. Yeah, and I think next issue is great a one, fantastic issue. Yeah, it's a, a classic. Yeah, it's the first Doctor Octopus issue. It's a full story. Um, it's the first fully, I mean, I haven't reread it in a little while, so I guess I'll, maybe I'll feel differently once I look at it again. But my memory is this is the the first truly great Spider-Man issue. Yeah. I mean, uh, Amazing Fantasy 15 uh, uh, is great in, in its brevity, but this is the first one that really just like, I mean, it's, it, <laughs> it's only 22 pages or whatever, but it feels like an epic. Yep. It feels like a lot happens. And we're going to talk about that next episode. So tune in. Don't miss it. Um, 
Yeah, I think if this lands, this this episode we're doing now is going to come out right before Christmas if we get these yeah. out on time. So the next one will be out after the new year. Um, so come on back after your New Year's party and get geared up for a great episode on Amazing Spider-Man number three. Yeah, and I'd say if you haven't listened to this podcast yet, next uh, next episode is the one to start. So I don't know how you're hearing yeah. this part of if the podcast. If you haven't listened to it. If you haven't listened to this. If you're not this, listening to this listen now, to the yeah, one. listen to the next one. Next. Yeah, get that message out to yourself. Yeah. Somehow, all of you people who aren't listening, you're going to want to change your ways for next episode. Um, uh, all right. And um, just once again, you can reach us at ScrewItSpidey on Instagram or Twitter. And you can also email us, ScrewItSpidey at gmail.com. Send us feedback. Yeah. If you want to reach out to us personally, uh, we're both on Twitter. Um, I'm Kev Hines, K-E-V-H-I-N-E-S. And I'm Will Hines, W-I-L-L-H-I-N-E-S. And we'll be back next uh, episode with uh, Amazing Spider-Man number three. Stay tuned, true believers. Nuff said. (laughs) Screw it, screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. What's a creative podcast network?